Hey everybody, I'm Julia Furlan and this is the news from BuzzFeed News. This week, we take a look at the week in world news. The census asks a controversial new question. Puerto Rico is still recovering as a new hurricane season begins. And we make sure that you're staying on your toes with fake news. Here we are. Let's do this. Last year's death toll from Hurricane Maria is dramatically larger than reported. ABC's mega-hit Roseanne has been canceled. Just hours after the Trump administration announced that the 2020 census will include a question about citizenship, the state of California announced that it would sue to challenge that decision. There are a lot of countries in the world, and there is a lot going on in all of them. So we have What in the World, which is where our world news editor Miriam Elder makes sense of it all for us. This week, she's putting Deputy World Editor Hayes Brown in the hot seat. Hi, Hayes. Hi, boss. So what we're going to do is I'm going to play clips uh, from the weekend news, mm-hmm. and you have to identify what on earth is going on and give me a snappy five-word headline to explain it all. That sounds not at all daunting. So you're ready. No. 100% <laughs> not ready for this. <laughs> Here we go. We are not only here for the truck drivers, but for all Brazilians who are suffering with the rises in electricity, water, gas, everything. Brazilians have to work just to survive. We are not members of any political party. We are the people who are suffering the most. Oh, man. Okay, five words for this. Um, Brazil's fuel costs are... Brazil's fuels costs too high? Ah, oh, that's five. Uh, but it's bad. It's a bad five. Um... Brazil truckers, fuel, rage, bad. Ah, oh, this is harder <laughs> than you would think. <laughs> okay, why don't you give us a sentence then? What the hell's going on in Brazil? So Brazil's truckers have been on strike for over a week now because fuel costs are just too damn high. And while they have come to some agreements with the government, they are still asking for more. All right. Great. <laughs> no, that was not great. I, this, I, I want retribution. Give me the next one. How about Brazil truckers protest over fuel? Wow. Sure. <laughs> if you want to make it like simple and clean, I guess. All right. Moving right along. Here is number two. First of all, the people have spoken. And they're saying that this is a country in which we trust women Ireland says some abortions now is a five word way of describing <laughs> that. So last weekend, Ireland approved basically repealing this ban on abortion. Right. So this was a huge move for Ireland. And I'm curious, how does it play into like everything that's going on in the world in this like global feminist moment that it feels like we're living through? So I I think that this is both very much of the time and also the continuation of something that's been going on in Ireland for the last at least six years. Six years ago, an Indian woman who was pregnant tried to get an abortion but was unable to because of Ireland's uh, restrictive laws at the time. And she wound up dying because of medical complications. Since then, we've seen in Ireland the election of an LGBT prime minister. We've seen them pass same-sex marriage and now this. And I think that it's really a sign of Ireland moving away from their traditional like Catholic moors to 
being more in step with this global trend towards feminism and women's rights that we're seeing play out, especially throughout the rest of Western Europe. You're one for two. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we're going to, you have a chance of redemption uh, with, with number three. Here we go. And the head of the SBU, Vasil Hritzak, he put out a statement uh, on uh, the official SBU Facebook page saying, I could have expressed condolences to Arkady Babchenko's family, but I will not do it. On the contrary, today I congratulate Arkady on the third birthday and invite him to this hall, obviously indicating that he was there. All right, five words. Arkady, like Paul, wasn't dead. <laughs> oh, Beatles reference. <laughs> so this is about the Ukrainian journalist who faked his own death in concert with the Ukrainian security services in order to catch people who were allegedly organizing to kill him. Is that right? That is correct. You got it all in there. Um, this was probably the wildest international story on what was already a wild day. It was so baffling to suddenly see this dude pop up at a press conference So it seems like a lot of people were pissed off. They felt like they were tricked. But did this whole scheme achieve what it actually wanted to? I mean, yes and no. On the one hand, it sounds like they caught the would-be assassin, which in theory is why they set this all up. On the other hand, thinking, you know, two steps down the board, it is a huge opening for Russia to call every future assassination just a trick by the Ukrainian police, which I believe is your take on things. Why, thank you. I like hearing my take on things. <laughs> All right, Hayes. Well, that is two out of three. That Ain't is, bad. It's good. It's not great, but it's good. <laughs> it's a good start. That was Miriam Elder talking to Hayes Brown. Oh, hey, Jojo. What's up? Whenever you hear that cute little beep beep boop, it means that JoJo is here to help you find the story that we're talking about. So here's how it works. Step one, open your messaging app on your cell phone. Step two, type in JoJo's number, which is 929-236-9577. Step three, text JoJo the word that we give you. They will text you the story that we're talking about so that you can read it yourself after you're done with this episode. A study released this week reveals that nearly 6,000 people died in Puerto Rico because of Hurricane Maria. And yesterday, a new hurricane season began for the Atlantic region, which raises the question, is Puerto Rico ready for another hurricane? This is Up Close, where we bring you a story that deserves a closer look. Here's breaking news reporter Talal Ansari with Nidhi Prakash, who's been on the ground in Puerto Rico since the beginning. Nidhi, take me back to your trip to Puerto Rico that you took in October of last year. I arrived there about two weeks after the hurricane. And I remember driving around the island after sunset would be pitch black at night. There was no cell reception. People were drinking out of mountain springs, you know, because there wasn't like a stable water supply in many areas. But really what struck me was that I kept hearing from people in various towns that they knew of relatives or other people in their community or the next community over who had died, who were not being counted in the official death toll. That they had died for reasons like the dialysis machine at home not working for a lack of power. Or there were a lot of people with diabetes who couldn't store their medication in refrigerators, things like that. And so basically, given that we couldn't call ahead and make inquiries about these things, I decided to just go where dead people end up, I guess, which is funeral homes and crematoriums. 
I was talking to a waitress at a restaurant on the other side of the island, and she told me that in her hometown, she'd received word from her mother somehow that there were a few dozen people who had died immediately after the hurricane that were not counted in the death toll. So with that in mind, I kind of like set out to go to those towns. It was Utuado and Hayuya. And just to kind of ask around in the towns, but also go directly to the funeral homes. Uh, do you have BuzzFeed news? So in one of the funeral homes in Hayuya, um, I was talking to the funeral de- director and he was telling me about all of the people who had come through and died of, you know, hurricane-related causes. And then he said, actually, you know, there's a young man who's here right now having a funeral for his father who died because his tank of oxygen ran out of supplies and also they had erratic power. So I walked into one of the chapels in the funeral home and Hernan Alvarez was there um, receiving guests for his father and he was kind enough to talk to me a little bit about what they had been through. So they were in a home for elderly people when the storm hit. His father depended on a ventilator, on an oxygen tank to survive. And he said that the building had a generator, but that it was only it only had enough power to basically light up the building from the outside. So the elevators and all of the outlets inside the building weren't working. And he actually went off the oxygen and it seemed like he was holding his father in his arms and it seemed like he was going to die. He was alone with his father. And because of the lack of cell reception, they also couldn't call for help. In a situation like that, you would imagine... Right, it's the first thing you'd do. We would all imagine calling 911, right, straight away. So that was not an option at all for him. Later on, you know, I mean, the situation just continued to be so bad that he couldn't save him. And is it safe to assume that this man is not included in the death toll for the hurricane? He wasn't then, and he's still not now. A bunch of researchers got together from Harvard, and they found that there was 5,740 deaths in Puerto Rico in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria. That's 70 times the official number, and higher than the attacks of September 11th and Hurricane Katrina combined. So how did we get to two very different numbers, one given by the government and one by this Harvard study? Basically, what's happened here is that the government's death toll from very early on was not really being conducted in a very kind of methodical way. So even very early on when President Trump visited, and that was in October, the official death toll was 16. And that's something that he touted at the time as being a signal of how well the situation was going down there and how it wasn't a real catastrophe like Katrina. Right. So there's been a lot of attention on this from way back then. But in terms of the death toll, it was 16 officially then. After a little bit of pressure, the government gradually started paying some attention to it. In December, they upped it to 64, and they haven't updated it since then. In February, the governor of Puerto Rico, Ricardo Rosseo, said that he was commissioning an independent study into the death toll. I think it's important for those that have lost loved ones uh, and, and everybody involved in Puerto Rico know uh, exactly or, or close to the exact number of what the number of deaths uh, was. For months and months and months, reporters like myself were putting out reports that they were undercounting how many people were dying. And so basically there's been a lot of scrutiny on this since the very beginning. And that's what's led this independent group at Harvard, and there are some researchers on the ground in Puerto Rico as well, to look into it. And they basically conducted a survey on the ground, and that's how they came up with this new number of 5,740. And in a practical sense, why does it matter whether this number is accurate or not? So I think that there are 
two answers to that. <laughs> I think the first one is the kind of human impact of it. And obviously, you know, if we're talking about thousands of families who have lost a loved one, it's going to matter to them how that was counted and whether or not there's an acknowledgement that they might have died because they didn't have access to medical care that they should have had. And I think on the other side of it, it's something that is really essential for planning for other hurricane seasons, which Puerto Rico is now entering. And without an understanding of where people died and how they died, it's really hard to kind of make plans to look after the most vulnerable people. Can you explain to me exactly how does 5,000 people die and it not go counted? So I think the thing to know to begin with is that there is no national standard in the U.S. for how deaths are counted after a disaster like this. So that's a kind of baseline problem. Hmm. But then given the situation we had in Puerto Rico, basically when I was out there, I was hearing from people in towns and, you know, in really remote areas that they had family members, that they knew people in their communities who had died and it wasn't being recorded. And what they said to me there is that no one had told them what to classify as a hurricane death or not. Huh. And so that is where the real kind of breakdown in the system seems to have come from, I think. Now, here we are. Hurricane season just started yesterday, and it's expected to be as bad as last year's. Is Puerto Rico ready for any type of storm? You know, Toal, it seems like it's not. Um, some things are better than they were last year. Uh, but the recuperation from Maria is still not over. Uh, and... As much as the government has put in new initiatives in a bunch of different areas, having the new warehouses, that kind of thing, I think that their attitude towards this death count from the very beginning has been a little negligent. The first couple of times that I reached out to them about this, from October through November, they denied that there was any kind of problem in the way that they were conducting the death count. So it's difficult to see how you can be prepared without having taken stock of what happened. That was breaking news reporters Talal Ansari and Nidhi Prakash. If you want to read Nidhi's latest story on Puerto Rico, text JoJo the word hurricane right now. Again, JoJo's number is 929-236-9577. There's a question on the census this year that is freaking people out because it's never been asked before. This is Data with a Heartbeat, where reporter Lam Tuivo brings a little bit of humanity to the numbers that describe us. Is this a citizen of the United States? How do you feel about that question? I, um, even though I do have the citizenship as of today, I never felt a citizen of the United States. And I don't think that's going to change. Tom, what you just heard was my roommate and me filling out the American Community Survey. It's done by the Census Bureau, but it's a survey that is put out by the census every few years to get an estimate for how many people live in the U.S. and what they do and how they live and how much money they make, etc., while the census is the actual count that is being used. And the question you just heard, the question about citizenship, is the thing that has caused a whole lot of drama in the world of data recently. Ah, so data drama. This is exactly what every editor wants to hear about. Not Pusha T and Drake... Not the Russian journalist who resurrected from the dead. What we want to hear about is data drama. <laughs> yes. uh, seriously, what, what is going on here, Lam? Okay, so there's this question about citizenship that hasn't been in the census since 1950. And that was kind of like put in there last minute uh, sometime in March. And since then, people have erupted in like outrage about this. 
A bunch of people basically have started suing the Census Bureau and the Department of Commerce. First, there was New York State, which led a group of 18 states and then 15 cities, a handful of counties and the U.S. Conference of Mayors to sue the Census Bureau and to tell them to take out the citizenship uh, question. And now, just on May 22nd, the state of Alabama and the Alabama Attorney General Steve Marshall filed a lawsuit against the Census Bureau because they were counting undocumented immigrants. The state of Alabama and I have filed suit in federal district court for the Northern District of Alabama against the United States Department of Commerce and the Bureau of the Census to require them to exclude illegal aliens when they conduct the 2020 census. So now we have this whole party, right? Like people just suing the census left and right. So the census to me is something that you learn about in like social studies class in elementary school. It's this – I think people might think of it as like a boring thing where it's like here's how many people are in the country. Thank you. Good night, right? But what I'm really curious about is what the, what the actionable thing is here. What impact does this census question have that has everybody so up in arms? So there's two sides to this, right? First, the census numbers are used to redistribute seats in the House of Representatives and to draw legislative districts. So there's gerrymandered districts, right, the the ones that look all funky and are like bendy and stuff. Those are based on census numbers. So what about the everyday impacts of this? Census numbers are also used to help distribute federal funds. So if you have a neighborhood that is in dire need of more lunch money, for example, for um, underprivileged kids, you would use census numbers to determine where that money should go and how much money that particular neighborhood should get. So, Lam, when we started off here, you were talking about two different lawsuits. And one of them was in Alabama, and it seems to uh, to deal with the idea that they are worried about losing electoral power because of all of this. Is their claim valid? See, it's complicated because you do want to count everyone who is in the country because in some places, undocumented people make up the basis of all of these cities, right? Like a lot of like undocumented immigrants make up the fabric of a lot of these cities um, that employ them. On the other hand, I guess it does make some sense, right? Like Los Angeles, for example, is considered one of the largest homes to undocumented immigrants. If they get a larger, you know, representation in government due to people counting undocumented immigrants, that's a fair-ish claim. But I don't think that not counting them is a good solution either. And so I think we're opening up this whole questioning of like, Who is allowed to be part of this nation on paper, in data? And that has, like, cut to the core of the tensions that we're feeling across the U.S. right now. That was data reporter Lam Tuivo talking to breaking news editor Tom Namako. If you're thinking to yourself, wow, I should really follow all of these smart, interesting people around the Internet, we have a solution for you. Actually, JoJo has a solution for you. Text JoJo the word HOMST, that's W-H-O-M-S-T. And once you do, JoJo will send you a list of everybody who appears on this week's episode. There's a universe of bullshit out there, which is why we're here to help you sort it out. It's time for Fake News You Can Use, where Jane Limfenenko makes sure that you're not falling for it by making me take a quiz. 
Jane Litvinenko, the first mate on the submarine that wades into the fake news ocean of the internet. Wow, this is a <laughs> this is quite the metaphor. Jane, how you doing? <laughs> you know, there's definitely a ton of garbage patches floating around. It's great. All right, so I have three stories for you this week, like always. Okay. And this first one is actually pretty serious. It is these images of children lying down on what looks to be green mats in uh, essentially a cage. And there are a few different photos. Some of them are covered by, you know, shiny blankets. And so essentially the question that I have for you is the photos in this article uh, show the glimpse of immigrant children at a Trump holding facility. Do you think that that's true or fake? I actually read about the image that you're talking about. So I'm going to say that this is a real image, but it is not actually from this week as people were circulating. It's from 2014. Is that correct? Yes, that's exactly right. So this is a 2014 series of photographs published by AZ Central, which is a USA Network website. Shout out to local news. Shout out to local news. There's no reason to believe that the conditions are currently any better. But a lot of people did share this with a very strong anti-Trump sentiment and sort of use this as proof that things in America are really bad. Sorry, Americans. Uh, no indication this has gotten better. But this is from 2014. Right. So the second question I have for you is about Roseanne, the TV show, the noted TV show. Fox has announced that they will pick up Roseanne after ABC has canceled it. And of course, this was for the racist tweet that the star of the show tweeted. Do you think that's real or that's fake? Oh, man, this one's hard. I think that it's fake because I think that it's the kind of thing that a liberal conspiracy theory would want to spread that Fox News <laughs> is so far right that they would pick up the show that a big network put down after the start of the show revealed herself once again to be racist and bigoted. So I'm going to say it's fake. You're correct. That's two for Whoa. two. Oh, my goodness. I'm doing so well. I know. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> so um, this is actually part of a series. There were a series of articles just essentially inserting different TV networks saying that they picked up Roseanne or saved Roseanne or hired Roseanne. This was including NBC, Fox News. But it is fake. Uh, this particular headline comes from a satirical article. So according to the social measurement tool that we have, it got over 300,000 likes, shares, and comments. Oh, wow. But it does label itself a satire. So some people fell for it and some people shared it in jest. It seems like they don't understand what satire is, which is not just lies. It's commentary, right? <laughs> yeah. Just lies is not satire. No. <laughs> All right. So... Um, this is my funnest one that I could find for you this week. <laughs> okay. A parrot learned how to control Alexa, the virtual assistant. Is that true or false? Okay, I'm going to say this is true because one time I read a story, <laughs> a nonfiction reported true story about a parrot who was a witness to a murder. And then I went down a deep rabbit hole of or a parrot hole, if you will, of birds oh who God. are smart enough to get involved in the legal justice system. And therefore, I will say that the parrot controlling Alexa is real. 
All right. Well, the pair that you read about, and this one must be birds of a feather. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, because you are correct. Yay! Uh, it is real. This one little joy that we have in life. There is a parrot called Petra, and it's learned how to turn the lights on and off, and it has been tormenting its owner by just telling Alexa to turn the lights on and turn the lights off. Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> I love it. I'm so happy. Petra, this podcast is dedicated to you this week. Petra, you are soaring real high, my friend. Oh my God. Real James. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help myself. <laughs> so what's the tip that you brought us, Jane? Look at the date when something has been published, whether it's a video or a photo or an article. Sometimes it can be a little bit difficult to find, but it is very, very common for something to go viral as if it's new again, when really it's from a few years ago. And we see this a lot with tweets, especially a lot of tweets get stolen and reposted. Uh huh. So when you browse the internet, when you click on something, first of all, actually read it. Actually, <laughs> second of all, definitely look at the date when it was published to prevent yourself from some embarrassment. There's plenty of things to be angry about. It's more productive to be angry about new things rather than old ones. Yeah, there's plenty of rage. You just got to find the right stuff to be mad about because it's true. Yeah. That was Jane Lefinenko, reporter and fake news sleuth. If you want to test your own ability to spot fake news, just text JoJo the word QUIZ. Again, their number is 929-236-9577. And that's our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please, please, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts and give us all the stars you think we deserve, which is all of them. And don't forget, if you text JoJo the word whomst, you can get a list of everyone in this week's episode and their Twitter handles. This show was produced by the Pod Squad. That's Megan Dietrich, Alex Laughlin, Camila Salazar, and me, Julia Furlan. Our boss is Cindy Vanegas Jaswale, and our music is by Chad Crouch. And special thank you to JoJo, who, fun fact, was totally robbed by the casting director of Robocop. Join us next week for another episode of The News from BuzzFeed News.